following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the big show, everybody. Episode 759 of I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by the lovely, talented, and the scholarly, all of them, Brittany Page, everybody. So we announced last time that we are moving to Washington, D.C. We did announce it. To some mixed reactions. (laughs) Mixed reactions. I don't think uh, any announcement can be made without some semblance of negativity even if it's really on the whole a nothing but a positive announcement do move you, do you mean because uh debbie downers exist is that what you mean uh, I wish so, like I... even if you say like i am having a baby and then you're dealing with someone who's like well feline the... aids is a problem <laughs> the odds of something <laughs> terrible happening are coming around that's is that the, why? That's the closest I have to Debbie Downer. Is that why, though? I don't know. Are you asking why people are negative? No. Is that why even if you announce something positive, there's going to be like an inevitable negative response from someone? Yeah, I don't know what it is. It is. It's similar to what we talked about last time about people saying, well, well, well are you surprised? Why are you shocked by this? It's the same. Rather than just be like, yeah, this is outrageous or... Or, or sounding off or giving a different perspective, it's always a a takeaway. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like, a, what are your takeaways on this? I mean like they're taking away. It's a detraction yeah. rather than an addition. Yeah, and not like a takeaway like fast food. Yeah, and- in, 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 in Great Britain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, a, it's a bummer to me. And um, there have been some of that. Like, well, DC sucks. DC's a shithole. It's a hellhole. Mm-hmm. It's like, Awesome. Good for you. People, people. Welcome to the hellhole. People love Orange County. That's true. And one of the reasons we don't like it here is a reason that's universally loved by everybody, and that's the weather. Well, I'll tell you what. I was driving to an appointment earlier. You mean when it was 85 degrees today? That's true, but also (laughs) behind someone in a very expensive car. Oh, yeah. With very expensive hair. And um, everything else expensive. There will be far fewer douchey Ferraris and Lamborghinis in D.C. But, of course, I'm driving (laughs) behind this person just has no sense of urgency or care for what other people have going on. Yeah. Just so lackadaisical. I mean, going through like people know they're going to die, right? Like this is like a get on it. A finite amount of time (laughs) that we have here on Earth, and like if we're looking at like the time breakdown, I'd like as little of that time to be spent in my car in traffic. Yeah, especially especially someone who's accumulated enough wealth to buy a car that's the price of a house. Well, maybe that's why. They have even fewer years to go. Oh. Like, they're middle-aged. Yeah. You you better get to getting, Yeah. I I was thinking you were going, like, maybe they like to spend time in the car. No. It doesn't seem comfortable, though. It doesn't seem like a comfortable car. I've never sat in a Lamborghini, but they seem like a nightmare to me. The point of all that was... more room in a smart car for me than a Lamborghini. The point of all that was, was I was sitting behind them thinking, I cannot wait to live, not live here anymore. Because it was just the quintessential Orange County experience. Yeah. And I cannot wait to not have that experience yeah. anymore. Well, it, sometimes it is enraging. Yes. Sometimes it is unavoidably enraging. Well, and I know it's kind of the stereotype that people think of Orange County of being very um, superficial and caring about material things and... Um, very dedicated to like your appearance and things like that. And that's, I mean, it's very true. It's very true. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a monolith. There are cities that are uh, underserved socially and socioeconomically. But uh, on the whole, if we're looking at Orange County as a, you know, generally, it's a very privileged area with a ton of money, with people who have too much money, more money than they know what to do with. So they buy dumb shit. Mm-hmm. And, I, and listen... 
if you buy a Lamborghini, that's dumb shit. That's a dumb fucking thing. That, mm-hmm. I, I'm save your emails, save your voicemails. Well, what if? Nope. Listen, you want to buy? That's just ostentatious and stupid. You want to buy a Rolls Royce Phantom and drive it around to the to the to the Sprouts to the to the to the Whole Foods? Get the fuck out of here. Well, not I, a fan. <laughs> I think sometimes when people hear this, they think um, like. There's likely things that um, we spend money on sure. that people would find ridiculous, like maybe how much we're willing to pay. Like we haven't ever been to the French Laundry, but we would be willing to go and pay the price yeah. of a French Laundry sure. meal. Yeah. So things like that. I'm sure there's some people out there that think that's abhorrent. I, I love that the thing that you pick out is something we still haven't done, though. <laughs> well, it's like <laughs> if we could ever get in, you know. Yeah. There's a long wait list. Listen, I, I, listen. There are certainly things that I think we're probably not frugal enough with our money or whatever. Pretty much only food. We're a one car household, and that one car is a fucking Toyota. It, we're not, we're not going crazy, bro. Well, you know, and I will say, food has always kind of been the thing. Yeah, the the, the children's book you wrote when you were a children. Yeah, well, that that's you were gonna true. have all that you you were gonna go, and your first check was gonna be a thousand dollars, and you were gonna have all the steak and mashed potatoes you could eat. So that was actually a different children's book. That wasn't the first one I wrote. The oh. first one I wrote was called "The Little Girl Who Ate Too Much." So every every project <laughs> in school, I know what you say your your master's thesis was on. Yeah, was it on food? It wasn't. <laughs> It was not, but I used to, like, if I had a $20 in my birthday card from my aunt and I would go to the mall with a friend, I would spend it on a cinnamon roll and pizza yeah. rather than, like, buying a shirt um, because that was go my... Go that, <laughs> that was my priority. <laughs> Don't shit on me. How dare you? How dare you? How... Eating Sbarro's. Well, I made the joke today that I used to think that, like, Olive Garden was fine dining until I moved out of Idaho, so my elitism has been... It's not far off the mark, though. <laughs> it's not. It's not too old. That's not. You say that like joking, but what you really love you some Texas Roadhouse. Um, I yeah. I mean, I would be interested to go back to Texas Roadhouse. Uh, I would not to see if it's as good as I remember because teenage me remembers it being very good. That's Applebee's with better marketing, I think. Well, when is the last time that you went to one? Mr. Judgmental. Oh, really? Yeah. That's what we're going to do here? Look at you. Look at you, you You're, coastal well, elite. <laughs> yeah, tell us more. Tell us well, more. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe Applebee's is better now, mm. too, because oh. it's been you know two decades since I've been in one. Yeah, every, uh, we all know how long it's been since you've been in Applebee's. We know. It's a feature of your personality. <laughs> how long it's been. You don't even know where one is, in fact. Wow. Are we moving on now? <laughs> Was that the next line? Are we moving on? We can. I said that I am proud. I take pride in the fact that I have no idea where the nearest Applebee's is. Okay, but what is your favorite appetizer from Applebee's? <laughs> it's got to be the potato skins. Is that, a, is that an appetizer? Potato Probably. Skins? Potato skins are great. <laughs> Fantastic. Covered in cheese, potato, sour cream, Listen, bacon bits, chives. A, a, a boot... Taken off of a dead guy that's in, been in a dumpster all summer. You cover that with cheese and it's delicious. <laughs> Anything covered with cheese is a good time. Oh, what's my favorite cheese right now? Uh, Gruyere. That's right. Gruyere, yeah. yeah. Mm. Speaking of Gruyere, let's get to some calls. We should no, change we this into a food podcast. I just decided. You just decided? Yeah. No <laughs> consultation necessary. Would we retain all of the listenership if we switch to a food podcast? All? Yeah. They would just be real negative about it. <laughs> Anyway, we'd love to hear from you as we did these callers. Um, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We've got three calls, all surrounding, whether directly or tangentially, uh, the Rittenhouse verdict. G'day, Jesse and Brittany, of course. Thanks for Thanks for your time. Thanks for all your efforts. I'm an Aussie. I live in Sydney and in Australia. And that's Aussie with an O-double-Z-Y, not A-U-double-S-I-E, not Aussie, Aussie. But anyway, 
just a quick comment about Kyle Rittenhouse. You know, when you train a hunting dog to chase after something and you blood that hunting dog, once they have that taste of blood in their mouth, they will kill again. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that that little asshole will end up in front of a court again. He now knows that he can kill somebody with impunity. He will rely on that previous verdict to take law into his own hands and kill somebody else. There is no doubt in my mind that that is what he will do. Thank you for teaching me about the dynamics of US politics. I am an avid listener of yourself, Farron Cousins, TYT, Brian Taylor Cohen, like there are so many and I'd like to consider myself to be a very progressive person and more progressive as I get older. Thank you for your time. Cheers, good luck and goodbye. It's always good to hear from the Aussies. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Just kidding. Just kidding. No, listen. Starting a conflict. Th- there is there is something that I think is is um, notable in in the prediction here, mm-hmm. and you know it's not like uh, Kyle Rittenhouse is is his not his own person and not going to be you know acting on his own experiences in life and whatever. But this is something that happened with George Zimmerman. Remember all of the trouble that he mm-hmm. got in time after time after time after time, right. both domestic violence related mm-hmm. and firearm related. Yeah. He was a problem for, I don't even know what he's, he may have gotten convicted of something. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he was in trouble constantly. Yeah. It did seem like that. And it very well could be the case with Rittenhouse going forward that he feels like he got a, a kitchen pass or whatever you would, however you would classify it, mm-hmm. that he feels that he can act with impunity mm-hmm. now, you know, he's untouchable. Well, he knows that... Um, Clearly, he's not a smart guy, so he might have gotten that message. Well, he knows he's going to have to work up some tears again next right. time because that seemed to be the winning method. Th- that He just like, goes and takes an acting lesson, so he's better at it on stage. On, on I'm sorry, on the stand. <laughs> yeah. That really, I did not mean that. I mean, you would <laughs> hope. You would hope that he... Uh, would at least try next time. Ugh. Apparently anyway, it was convincing while you were in the room. In the room they said it was convincing? Well, apparently, since he was oh, found not guilty. Right, right. It or, ruined our breakfast, by the or way. Or the fact that he just had an overwhelmingly white jury. Yeah. Who we, just bought into that bullshit. We had the news <clears throat> come in as we were uh, preparing to order some brunch and uh, we ruined my day. We actually sat there, I think, in silence, just kind of very angry and yeah, ruminating on that anger. That's how it happens. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks for the caller, the call caller, uh, the Aussie. We uh, we appreciate all the international communication we get. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. It's Uncle Blasso. I just have a quick question. So. Does this mean every mass shooter can claim self-defense? Anyway, I love you guys. love the show. You're both the best part. Take care. Over and out. Bye. So this has been a a big topic, right? Um, the word precedent has been thrown around. People have criticized the word precedent being thrown around, um, confusing it with like judicial precedent. Like legal precedent. Yeah. Right. Um, where I think the intent for most people who are using the word precedent um, suggest what the caller here is suggesting, that people now will feel empowered, emboldened to arm themselves and insert themselves into protests because they may feel a greater sense of uh, protection when it comes to, quote-unquote, self-defense. And you're already hearing um, Kyle Rittenhouse, the preview for his interview. Which is taking place tonight. On, with, Tucker with Tucker Carlson. Yeah. 
is uh, about like self-defense. He's the champion now. He's he's the image that everyone thinks of when they think of self-defense. Yeah, I haven't seen the interview yet because we're doing this right now and it's happening. Uh, but we'll certainly talk about it. Um, but and I don't even know the context in which it was said or if it was actually said. But there, I've seen screenshots with text saying that Kyle Rittenhouse purports to be a supporter of Black Lives Matter, mm. which is just fucking laughable. Yeah. You know. Um, also, I saw a tweet. I, maybe you put it on the page. That interesting how all these Republican wingnut congressmen are offering him an internship. And it's, I, I think the tweet was like, huh, weird. Has he ever said he's a Republican? How would they know he's a Republican? Right. Oh, maybe it's because of the thing we all know. Right. Well, he was pictured with Proud Boys. Right. Throwing up the white supremacist okay sign. Yeah. I mean, he specifically went to the protest to, quote unquote, protect businesses that were going to be vandalized. Right. I mean, all, all of this taken together does not indicate someone who was, uh, number one, there to be a medic and offer medical support. Uh, number two, someone who supports Black Lives Matter. I mean, this... Again, we're not going to get into it. It's very unfortunate what happened. But the, the question, I think, is are people going to feel empowered to go out and use him as a model? And, I mean, I don't see why not. There's already militia members who are, like, fantasizing about doing this kind yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and have been for a long time. Right. Now they've got the roadmap for it. Right. And that, I think, is what's really scary because these movements are only growing and increasing in size. And then you have this uh, Kyle Rittenhouse verdict and it sends a strong message, unfortunately. The thing that the ding dongs aren't going to take into in, into 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 the. The metric, the calculus is mm. the fact that this is one single had he picked a different judge, this right. thing might have gone differently. Mm -hmm. If he didn't have a judge who was actively working in the in, in in order of the defense, then it might have gone differently. If he had the McMichael judge, for example. Yeah, which, by the way, if you guys aren't watching, uh, I've only watched a little bit of it because Brittany has been watching like bell-to-bell -bell coverage of it. Uh, that judge is acting like a judge should. Mm -hmm. dispassionate mm -hmm. he doesn't get into arguments with either side right they 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 put their case forward about whatever objection it is or whatever he hears the arguments and he rules mm -hmm. he doesn't get into a, a back and forth with people because he's the court he's the judge that's the way it should be right so as far as i can see from what i've seen he's he's acting in good faith as a judge yeah so i would agree uh, anyway, thank you for the call, Uncle Blasto. Didn't know I had an <laughs> Uncle Blasto. Um, moving on. Now, this next caller has been a longtime listener of the show, mm -hmm. an infrequent contributor. And we really want to play it and talk about it because it really speaks to a battle that's going on in, in our country with the hearts of a younger generation relative to all of these types of topics, whether it be gun ownership, vigilantism, white supremacy even. I don't know if that comes into play with the call specifically. But it is certainly an element that needs to be watched out before by parents everywhere who thinks that, who think they have a, a stronghold grip on, on their kids and what they may or not be um, susceptible to. Hey, Brittany and Jesse. Tony from Boston here. Uh, so I'm having a difficult time after the Rittenhouse trial, and I mourn for this country in general. Gun culture and white Christofascism are tearing the country apart. And beyond the threat to national security, these issues have also impacted my family. We have three teenagers. Our oldest two are young men, and they've been thoroughly seduced by gun culture, despite being raised to be kind and nonviolent critical thinkers and to value justice, evidence, and compassion. Uh, their obsession with guns started with a harmless fascination with the police. Admittedly, it was adorable to see our small boys wearing their police costumes and patrolling the yard but guns are an inescapable feature of police in the U.S. Uh, suffice it to say, we didn't encourage guns, but we also figured that forbidding the issue altogether would be only backfire on us. 
We had faith that consistent, loving parenting would prevail. God damn, were we wrong. The eldest eventually got sucked into prepper and pro-Second Amendment forums and videos. He started making subtle comments which grew into full-throated proclamations. And he also started gravitating towards elements of toxic masculinity and, and even making like anti-Semitic jokes, which he certainly didn't hear at home. We pushed back, of course, but assumed it was a teen flexing his shittiness and being subversive, like most teens. But uh, then the police showed up. Uh, apparently, another student alleged he'd said some threatening things about guns at school. Uh, so police searched his bedroom. He underwent a mandatory psych evaluation at the hospital emergency department. Uh, he was suspended and appeared before a court magistrate to determine if felony charges were warranted. Long story short, he denied everything. The police couldn't corroborate the accusation, and he was given a year's probation, after which they'd purged the record. We parented through this as best we could, including getting him a therapist. And a few months later, the police showed up again. This time because of something his younger brother allegedly said. And it started all over again. It was alarming. It was humiliating. And now he was on probation too. Uh, the eldest is now a Marine, and I can only hope that gives him a safe outlet for his obsession. And now the Rittenhouse case has caused friction with me and my younger son. He's all about the defense's arguments and seems to believe the Second Amendment supersedes all federal and state gun laws like, like magic. I'm completely stumped. It's like trying to talk with anti-vaxxers or creationists. We've essentially lost both our sons to gun culture. And I don't know what we did wrong or what to do. I wouldn't be so quick to say you've lost them, Tony. I think that there's still plenty of time. Uh, your oldest son being in the Marine Corps, for me, that doesn't ring as he's going to uh, go out of it or he's going to he's gonna grow out of it or it's going to scratch that itch, so to speak, because he is probably surrounded. And uh, listen, I'm not... I'm not in the Marine Corps anymore. I don't know how they're handling the threat of extremism and white supremacy and everything else that comes along with some of these young enlisted uh, men. But uh, the Marine Corps might not be might not be the positive force that you would hope it would be. I don't mean to be a downer here. I think it's possible that it could be though, and and yeah. I think it had didn't it have some positive maturing effect on you. Yeah, it did. Mm -hmm. It did. But I also was um, already about as extremist as it could be, mm -hmm. like r really holding um, very hostile anti-government sentiments because of my weirdo, libertarian, far right wing uh, extremist type of upbringing. Mm -hmm. So there was really nowhere to go but to the center mm -hmm. uh, because any farther right and I would have been Timothy McVeigh. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that that I was close, but really, the only the only direction to go would I be that way. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's uh, I I feel for you, Tony. Mm -hmm. It's it's um, it's got to be maddening, mm -hmm. discombobulating because you think you did everything right. You raised the kids, tried to emulate. You tried to set an example, and then. They, just like an older generation is being um, mesmerized by Fox News, there are other outlets out there for a younger generation to get radicalized as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to I wanna speak to um, the influence of the internet, which I think is the most telling part of this story. But I want to start with Tony saying that he doesn't know what we did wrong referring to himself and I'm, I'm assuming his co-parent um it's a common feeling to have but i would caution against blaming yourself or blaming parenting and i really have this reaction when i see and i'm not trying to equate this to what i'm about to say but i'm just using this as an example when I see mass shooters in uh, the news, and then there's a lot of comments about, like, who raised these people? Yeah, right? sure. What did these parents do? Her, her, her. And I, it always irritates me because 
you can have uh, a great influence on your children as a parent, and you can rear them in the way that you believe is correct, and they can still choose a different path. Yeah, for sure. And you can do everything that you possibly can, give them as much time and love and attention and, and uh, education as you as you want. And still, there can be a situation where they choose to do things that you wouldn't want them to do, that mm-hmm. you didn't raise them to do. And I mean, even at less extreme forms, right? Just maybe choosing to move in with someone when they're younger than you want them to to choose that or they get married too young or they have a kid too young or whatever, right? They're bad with their money, whatever. Exactly. Um, but obviously for Tony, this is more um, serious because it's involving law enforcement. Early involvement with law enforcement. Early inv- yeah. involvement with law enforcement, um, psychiatric evaluations, um, you know, various struggles that are popping up. Like Tony said, I'm hopeful that the Marines will be a safe outlet for him to kind of work through some of that stuff, hopefully mature a bit and start to maybe just express some of that in a safer way that's not getting him in trouble and uh, not violent. That would be great. Um, I think for Tony, what might be good, and he talked about having like a therapist for his son, helping him through that. Maybe family therapy. He didn't specifically specify the ages of his um, other sons, but possibly family therapy, maybe even individual therapy for Tony to kind of work through some of these issues and and talk to someone, have someone to talk to about some of those fears with parenting. Never a bad idea. Never a bad idea. In fact, a good idea, I think, since I'm saying it. Right. No? Good idea? No. Well, I'm just saying... Even if it's even if it doesn't end up being like this panacea, yeah, it's not going to hurt anything. It's not a bad idea, is what I'm saying. Exactly. You're, um, you're right. Wonder the best idea <laughs> that has ever been spoken. Go get therapy. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what really stood out for me is I don't know what we did wrong. There's going to be forces that you just can't control, yeah. Tony. I mean, no matter what, even if you're spending twenty four seven with the kid. Yeah. I mean, no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to control everything. And because of Tony's connection to the show, he's been a longtime listener, longtime supporter, like you said. I know Tony to be a very thoughtful, um, educated, loving person who seems to be very invested in the lives of his children and very much cares about them. And I think that that is starting off on the right foot. And that is going to go a long way. And, you know, they may go through this difficult time, may kind of, as Tony said, uh, flex their shittiness in some ways. uh, And maybe they'll come back around. Right. But I would just caution you not to take that all on yourself because that is going to have detrimental effects for you and possibly not allow you to show up in the way that you want to for them. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. We're thinking about you, Tony. I think everybody is. And if anyone has any feedback for Tony, having listened to that, maybe in a similar uh, situation, parenting-wise, you know, maybe even if it's not as extreme, you know, just something that maybe you thought of for Tony, uh, even if you don't want us to play it for the show, just want us to pass it along to him. We've done that in the past, so... Uh, I'm sure he would be happy to hear it. 657-464-7609 or idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Brady G. Brady G. Insane Atheist. Insane Atheist. And then another blank. Another blank? Yes. Blank. Someone did not put a first name or a last name, which tells us that they want to be anonymous. And we get it. We would be ashamed to support us, too. (laughs) Um, <laughs> wow, I did not expect that. So um, you shouldn't be <laughs> you shouldn't be ashamed. You should be proud. Okay, 
last call for Thanksgiving voice memos and voicemails. Again, the rules do not thank us. We did get a few of those. Uh, there was at least one that the entire thing was dedicated to thanking us. And so we're just going to like message you and say thank you for that. But that won't While be on there. While we appreciate it. We do. It will not make the show. Yes. So make sure you uh, keep it anonymous. Don't say your name. Don't thank us. And simply describe what it is that you are thankful for this year. You need to get them in before the end of the day, Tuesday, the 23rd. Or it will not be on the show because uh, even though I have been trained in how to organize the clips and normalize and compress, Jesse D is still editing the show together. You do not work quick enough yes. to get the entire show done no. before a Thanksgiving. I'm getting there, but I'm not there yet. And that's okay. Yeah. In so, your own time, Brittany Page. <laughs> I doubt it at dollamore.com and 657-464-7609. So we talked last time, maybe, maybe the time before that. You got your booster shot. Did we talk about it? You got it. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. I think so. Okay. We did. It was last Saturday. Yeah, so we're both... Good times. We're both boosted. Boosted! Uh, hashtag Moderna, the best one, boosted. And wow. uh, <laughs> creating divisions. No, I'm I'm just kidding. It's it's fine. They're all good. They're all good. <laughs> After you said that, and uh, you should get your booster because now uh, everyone can get them as long as you're eligible. And eligible means you know 18 and over. You've had uh, six months since your last mRNA vaccine dose, and then with the Johnson and Johnson, I think it's two months two after months. your first dose. Yeah, you are eligible to get your booster. So we wanted to talk a little bit about what you need to do to get the booster and also just kind of where we are with COVID going into the holidays. Should you make everyone get a booster before being around them? Should you still be wearing masks? What does that look like? Should you hide under your bed for the holidays? And yes, and we found a clip that will answer that question. Judy, starting this weekend, boosters will now be available for any of the three federally approved vaccines. At least 10 states had already made this change as COVID cases rise, up 33 percent in the last two weeks. For the moment, death rates are stable, but the country is still averaging more than 1,100 deaths a day. For more on what we should know, I'm joined by Dr. Robert Wachter, chair of the Department of Medicine at the University of California at San Francisco. Dr. Wachter, thank you for for joining us on the news hour. Let's get right to it. Would you at this point advise every adult to get a booster shot and why or why not? I would. I got mine uh, a month or so ago, but I've advised my 28 and 30 year old healthy children to get them as well. Uh, the boosters do three things. First of all, we now know that the efficacy of the original shots does wane, starts waning at about five months and wanes uh, more uh, the more time goes on. And the boosters do three things. One is they prevent mild infections, but mild infections can lead to long COVID. The second is they can pre prevent severe infections, which can lead to hospitalization and death. And the third is they keep the community safer. They decrease the amount of COVID in the community. Isn't it uh, still, though, Dr. Wachter, the unvaccinated that are most at risk, not only for severe COVID, but behind community spread? No question about it. And, and early on, people said, well, we should really concentrate on vaccinating the unvaccinated. And when I heard that, I would say, what, is, what exactly does that mean? What are we not doing to try to get the unvaccinated vaccinated? We've done everything I think we can humanly possibly do. There are enough shots for everyone. So at this point, I think we can walk and chew bubble gum. I think we have to continue to concentrate on trying to get people to get vaccinated in the first place. But we also have to protect everyone else. And if you're, un, if you're vaccinated, but you're more than six months out, your level of protection is now somewhere between fully vaccinated and unvaccinated, so it's time to boost it up. So let's talk about the efficacy of the booster shot and when it kicks in. Does getting the booster shot, Dr. Wachter, mean you won't get COVID-19? And will we have to get booster shots every six months? Well, the vaccines aren't perfect, although these, I think we forget, uh, we've gotten used to it. These are extraordinarily effective. What the booster does is take, if you remember those original efficacy numbers of 95% effective in preventing cases of COVID, mm -hmm. that number had waned to 50 or 60%. The boosters bump you back up to at least 95%. You're probably even a little bit better uh, protected than you were after your two shots. 
they are uh, miraculously effective. Um, how long does it take before they kick in? It looks like about a week. So a week after you've gotten your booster, you're back up to a level of protection that was similar to the level you had two weeks after your second shot. When will we need another shot? I think we will know when we know. Uh, unfortunately, there's no way of knowing because these shots waned in six months does not necessarily mean that the booster will wane in six months because we've had a lag in time. It gave the immune system more time to kind of mature. And so there's a good chance that we might need one every year or two years. But I think we'll only know as we see what happens over time. Sure. As we head into the holidays, though, doctor, people are expected to gather. If you have a booster shot, should you feel comfortable not wearing a mask around your grandparents again, shopping at the mall without a mask? Well, the way I approach life, Stephanie, is that that now that I have gotten my booster, I am perfectly comfortable hanging around in indoor spaces with other people who are fully vaccinated and if they're eligible, who've also gotten a booster. Anything other than that, hanging around with unvaccinated people or people whose shots were nine months ago and who have not gotten a booster, I'm a little more careful. I would wear a mask in those circumstances. If you can't, like you're having Thanksgiving dinner together with them, I think that's a good use of the rapid tests. So if someone's unvaccinated or someone's 10 months out from their shots and hasn't gotten a booster, I think it's reasonable to test them that morning. If they're negative, you can be quite confident they're not infectious that day. And so that makes it safer. But I think the rule is vaccinated plus booster. If, if you're eligible, you are really good to go. And if you're hanging out with other people like that, you really are quite safe. Really appreciate that clear advice. Dr. Robert Wachter, the chair of the Department of Medicine at UC San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you. It really bums me out that the government has not sent tests to everyone so that everyone can have at-home rapid tests. Rapid tests at home, yeah. We had to buy them, and they were a pain in the ass to find. Pain in the ass to find. They're also expensive, and that can be cost-prohibitive for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. Cost-prohibitive for a lot of people. I got what you meant. Um, I just got back from the dentist, so a little, you know, got some sticky fluoride on my teeth. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So I wish that that was a thing, but also I like... you know what? I wish it was a thing, too. I like <laughs> what he said about uh, the booster and how long is this expected to last? Because he's making room for that uncertainty. And I, I people need to get more comfortable with this element of we don't know the answers yet. Yeah. And as more data comes in, a more clear picture gets gets drawn. Right. And you need to kind of I mean, I know it's hard because the FDA certainly isn't perfect. Uh, you know, watching Dope Sick will make that apparent to you. Duh. But um, you you have to rely on the best possible information and access to the best possible information. And we, we shared a tweet to the page recently about how uh, this person said, no, I actually didn't do my own research before getting my kid vaccinated. I, I did what the doctor told me to do. And there were several comments of like, whoa, you, you shouldn't just blindly trust anyone, bro. Um yeah, okay, but also you don't have the ability to assess research on yeah. vaccine effectiveness unless you are trained in that field. Yeah, it, it is it's a remarkable thing to me that like even if you read the back of a soda can, mm-hmm. you don't know what all those ingredients are. What makes you think you're going to be able to read the ingredients list? on a highly scientifically technical bit of, of, of medicine. Well, and it, that's also a good point because they get concerned about ingredients in the vaccines, but they're not concerned about the ingredients in their Diet Coke. Or their cigarettes or whatever else. Or their Botox. Yeah. Yeah. So doesn't mean the booster will wane after six months just because the other series of vaccines waned after six months. But again, that's a point of uncertainty. It may be a situation where it becomes like the flu shot. You just get a booster shot every year and hopefully that will be the case. But as you're doing Thanksgiving, just go into it thinking uh, hopefully everyone's vaccinated. Hopefully you have some at-home rapid tests if you're around people who are not vaccinated. Just otherize the unvaccinated. Just (laughs) banish them to the deck and the children's table. Oh, to the children's table with the kids who aren't vaccinated no and then the kids get uh, up at the table with the with the regular people oh they get a promotion they get a promotion that's right okay all right that's right you heard it here first folks otherize the unvaccinated (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right moving on 
Democracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So the Build Back Better uh, bill passed the House and now it is headed to the Senate where it is definitely going to face op- opposition from Republicans. Yeah. And is actually starting to cause kind of a a split in the Democratic Party because there is a provision in there that has to do with salt taxes. Now, I had never heard of this before, but apparently it is related to the state and local taxes that people can deduct from their federal income taxes. That's right. Okay. So like when you, your payroll taxes from state, your state income tax, that can be a write-off on your federal income taxes, which really, really adds up when you're a super rich person. Yeah. And so the, the provision in the bill is actually raising the amount of state and local taxes that someone can deduct from so, their federal income tax. So it's a ta- an, it is a tax cut for the wealthy. Yeah, so it's raising that limit from 10,000 to 80,000. Right. And so wow. Bernie Sanders has been really going hard against this as you might expect Bernie Sanders to do. And he specifically said, quote, you can't be a political party that talks about demanding the wealthy pay their fair share of taxes and then end up with a bill that gives large tax breaks to many millionaires. You can't do that. The hypocrisy is too strong. Bernie's still talking. It's bad policy. It's bad politics. I didn't know that he would go on forever. Uh, (laughs) You didn't. I don't know why I didn't know Bernie Sanders would go on forever. Um, it is it, it is a it, it's clearly hypocritical though because this is a bill that was purported to be paying for itself revenue neutral all of that we've heard mm-hmm. and then we find out not only is it not that but they're giving the rich a massive tax cut mm-hmm. come on so to get into this a little bit more uh, we're going to play an interview with NPR and uh, Bob. Menendez. So I'm trying to find who is this? Michelle Martin is the host, the NPR host. And New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez. Yes. So let's talk about this this issue around the, the so salt taxes. The bill includes a provision that raises the amount of state and local taxes someone can deduct from their federal income tax from $10,000 to $80,000. Now, people may remember that this was capped in the tax bill that was passed during the Trump years. And Democrats at the time, many Democrats at the time, objected to this, saying it was basically a way to, and if I could use this blunt language, stick it to predominantly blue states that tax people heavily to pay for their programs. Now, this time around, it was a point of debate for House Democrats. Some supported it, some didn't. What do you make of this compromise? Well, uh, you know, the House compromise, I think, is a good movement forward on the deductibility of state and local taxes. Uh, I have a different proposal uh, in the Senate, uh, one that I think uh, deals with the concerns uh, uh, of some that uh, people who are millionaires or billionaires can get a tax deduction for this purpose, uh, but still would act at the same time ensure that doesn't happen, but ensure that middle-class working families in states like New Jersey that are maker states, which means we send far more money to the federal treasury that other states get to enjoy, uh, that they will be able to have the deductibility. So you've said, though, that assault deduction won't protect middle-class families, but states like California, New York, and your home state of New Jersey do have high income tax rates. So, so what... So you support raising the cap, but not as high as the house as as the current house bill would have it. And what's what's your what's your compromise, and why is it better? Because number one, it's revenue neutral, meaning it won't cost a penny to the federal treasury. It will allow the full deductibility to middle class working families, uh, but it won't go to those making over a million dollars. And therefore, the issue of millionaires and billionaires getting this tax deduction is not an issue. You know, as the bill stands now, stands now, the current proposal that's in the House bill, it would be tax cuts to high-income households. And this is already emerging as kind of a point of contention. Some might call it sort of an Achilles heel. Some people are arguing, why is, is this in alignment with the Democratic messaging of raising taxes on the wealthy to try to limit tax increases on the middle class? And how, what's your response to that? Well, first of all, my proposal uh, isn't a tax cut for the wealthy because, in fact, uh, millionaires and those billionaires will not 
uh, be able to ultimately uh, have that deductibility, which is why our proposal is better. How do you assess the prospects for the bill? I mean, it's a couple of your colleagues on the Democratic side have have uh, been very vocal about some of their concerns about the House bill. Do you and, you know, a lot of our conversation in the past couple of months has been focused on uh, child care and the child care tax credit. Do you feel confident about the prospects of the bill now? I do feel confident that the legislation, largely uh, as it is, will pass the Senate. There will be some changes. You know, what is the state of local property tax deduction? Is it the House version or a Senate version? Uh, Will we be able to keep in a robust paid family leave? But largely, the overwhelming uh, essence of the the proposed legislation, which would cut costs for uh, middle class working families, is going to pass the Senate. And you feel you are committed to to voting for the bill. I'm just wondering what this last couple of months have been like for you. I mean, as you've noted, I mean, as we've noted, as a couple of your colleagues have gotten an how can I put this an outsized share of attention for their kind of vocal complaints about the bill. And I'm just wondering how that has sat with you. The essence uh, of uh, good legislation is compromise. Uh, it doesn't mean that I get everything or the other person gets everything. And that's the very essence of how most good laws are made. I've been doing this for 30 years. Uh, I've seen that it can't always be my way, nor it will always be the other person's way. Are you confident that the bill will pass before the end of the year? I am confident the bill will pass before the end of the year. As I said, it may be a slightly different version than the House, but I believe the very essence of the bill will pass That was Senator Bob Menendez. He's a Democrat from New Jersey. Senator Menendez, thank you so much for talking with us. It was good to be with you. Thank you. So was he uh, conducting that interview inside of a trash can out back (laughs) of the Senate office building? What was he doing? I know. I want that's why I wanted to say, like, this is NPR. So talk to NPR about it. See, this is why we're moving to Washington, D.C. So we can get that kind of quality out of our interviews. I can't wait for that. So uh, Bob Menendez and uh, Bernie Sanders are kind of leading this effort to limit the savings that millionaires are going to get, uh, hopefully limiting uh, them from saving thousands of dollars per year on taxes. Want, they want to begin phasing out the relief for families who make 400000 per year, and that will still tilt relief to families making 200000 or more. And there's some concern. I mean, it's not just Bernie Sanders. I know everyone is probably like, okay, yeah, we get it. Bernie is upset about this. Right, right. You know, who else? But, but, but let me say this, because I'm not on the defend Bernie at all cost train. It's justifiable to be outraged about this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. But also because there are Democrats in states where this kind of provision would not be popular, right? You have it in, like, California, this is going to be something that uh, is going to be popular. Sure, right. They were saying blue states where they they uh, ta- appropriately tax, some would say, the wealthy. Mm-hmm. Then those wealthy people will be able to write off those taxes on. So ultimately what it is, it's the federal government subsidizing the tax setup in California and New York and elsewhere, Mm -hmm. which shouldn't be the case. Yeah. And before this passed the House, there were many House Democrats that were upset about it, and including uh, Jared Golden, a Democrat from Maine, one of the most vulnerable House Democrats, said that he feels like Republicans are in charge. So that that says a lot right there. And again, that's uh, not Bernie Sanders saying that. Well, listen, is it really that much of a surprise when Joe Biden is is tripping all over himself to thank Mitch McConnell and Rob Portman and Kirsten Sinema? I mean, Mm -hmm. there, there is this approach where going out of their way to draw in these these disparate elements of our politics in America and it's. It results in shit like this, I yeah. guess. Yeah. So. so we will see what happens um, as the negotiations continue and see where the bill ends up. Likely to change, likely to have adjustments. Yeah. And we will see. Well, and the other thing that this does is it's leading us to, I mean, we are marching steadily toward the midterm elections in 2022. Mm-hmm. And Democrats had better rapidly accomplish something uh, make good on their promises, or, or, or we're going to see um, 
a very bad situation come 2022 with the House in, the, in, in Republican control, the Senate in Republican control, and then moving into 2024 with possibly the White House going back into Republican control. Yeah. And it's not just that regular Republicans are going to get elected. There's a whole spate of nutbags up and down the ticket from local to congressional to federal elections. They're going to get elected who have been running steadily on the big lie. Yes, and this in the context of the United States being added to the list of backsliding democracies yeah. for the first time <laughs> in the history of the report from uh, the International Idea Think Tank. And the the reasons that they list specifically include Donald Trump's attacks on credible election results, voter suppression efforts, increasing polarization in the country, and also the decline in uh, quality of freedom of assembly and association regarding police brutality protests like what we saw with George Floyd. So it really started, according to this report, in 2019 when donald trump was making america great again and (laughs) right making it into something that in his vision of what is great yeah and so when you look at the context that this is happening in we're now being labeled a backsliding democracy and then you hear about these goofballs that are running for office on election fraud as their primary platform we are in a very scary place election fraud that did not happen First up, Carrie Lake, a former Phoenix television anchor. I'm Carrie Lake with a look at the top stories turned rising star of the right. Former President Trump breaking his silence on the race for governor in Arizona, throwing his support behind Carrie Lake. And big lie, fangirl. You can say Biden won the presidency, kind of like OJ is innocent. <laughs> also, just so you know, Not a huge fan of CNN. None of this makes sense to me. And then we have Kristen Caramo. Donald Trump won Michigan. Who Trump is backing to be Michigan's next Secretary of State. Yeah, so I have President Trump's endorsement, which is massive. As she repeatedly amplifies his lies about election fraud. It is not right that hundreds of thousands of votes are allowed to be considered as lawful votes and we know they're illegal. And when she's not yelling from the big lie bullhorn, she's questioning science. Guess what? I'm crazy. I'm an anti-vaxxer. Gender and sexuality. There is no such thing as a person with two mommies and two daddies. That is just factually incorrect. And condemning premarital sex. We normalize people fornicating and we normalize people living together with their boyfriends and girlfriends and all this stuff. We opened a door for us to get to the point where we have people want to normalize pedophilia. Neither Karamo or her campaign have responded to our request for an interview or for a comment about the views she's expressed. Meantime, four-term state representative Mark Fincham wants to be Arizona's chief elections officer. By removing the fraud... Donald Trump won. The Arizona Republic reports Fincham was there on January 6th for the Stop the Steal rally. There are also allegations he was part of the mob that stormed the Capitol. Fincham denies it. Then there's Nevada's Jim Marchant. I need your help to take back the House and support President Trump's agenda to keep America great. Who lost a court battle to overturn his five-point congressional loss to the Democratic incumbent in 2020. Now he's running for Nevada's Secretary of State to, and this is a quote from his campaign website, overhaul the fraudulent election system in Nevada. And finally, we come to Rachel Ham, who's running for Secretary of State in California. California, it's time for something different. They're afraid of the Rachel Hams of the world. I have built my life and career on telling hard truths. That's why I'm running for Secretary of State. She's already got the backing of plenty of Trump Town residents, including Steve Bannon, Roger Stone, Michael Flynn, and of course, the My Pillow guy. We know there was fraud. This election was stolen. Donald Trump is our president. Rachel Ham, author, self-proclaimed influencer, mother of four, and outspoken truth teller on satanic cults. And he twisted off the neck of the bird and let let the blood spill out onto my property to claim my property and to exert the power of Satan over my home. 
You know property prices are crazy when even Satan is having a tough time getting a foot on the property ladder. When we do speak out, especially about satanic things, there's always people who come and will try to disrupt. Always. That's a sign of satanic activity. I promise you that. I've got some experience with it. And sure, it's easy to laugh this off as someone with an overly active imagination, but Ham is teaming up with other conspiracy theory spreading Republicans and running for positions in office that directly influence the outcome of elections. It's going to be dominoes. It's going to be a series of things that happen. And um, I don't think it's going to be one in a day. It's a it's a process. And that that's hard. I get it because I love justice. But I think that the Arizona stuff is going to really be the first domino. Apparently, for these Trump-supporting Republicans running for office, the only way an election is fair and free is if their candidate wins. It is. Uh, we've had that. We've had that girl. We've had that girl. We, we've talked about her on the show before, the Rachel Ham. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know under what context it was. She may have been an asshole today or something. Yeah. But, but it is. <laughs> I almost stopped the clip when I heard. California, it's time for something different. (laughs) These people are, one, it is funny. Mm -hmm. It is comical. They are freaks. They are nut butts, for sure. However, nutter butters. I just shortened it. (laughs) Okay. They're nut sacks, to be sure. I turned my head. I'm like, nut butts. But it is also dangerous. Because yes. these people have a foothold in right-wing America. This mm-hmm. Rachel Ham, I just Googled her and went to images. And there's Im- there's pictures of her with, with Michael Flynn. Mm-hmm. And listen, it may seem completely ridiculous to rational thinking people that there are people motivated and animated by a fear of Satan and Satan worship and demons. But... Time and time again throughout the decades, this is something that works for people, Mm -hmm. and people get caught up into it. Even, like, Democrats. Mm -hmm. There are people who are driven by their their faith in religion and belief that we are fighting spiritual battles on this spiritual plane that all around us is warfare, demons and angels with swords, and I I grew up believing that shit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, It's alarming. Yeah. It. <laughs> uh, and then also, listen, this ties right in. Um, a lot of the people they mentioned on that clip are now being investigated, being subpoenaed, just got dropped today. Yeah. New subpoenas for five more Trump allies, including Roger Stone and conspiracy theory extraordinaire Alex Jones. And let's get straight to the breaking news in the investigation into the Capitol insurrection. New subpoenas targeting allies of former President Donald Trump. CNN law enforcement correspondent Whitney Wilde is working the story for us. Whitney, uh, the targets of these subpoenas. All right, with the, enough with the music. It's a lot. It's a lot of music. Enough! Just talk. We know Just give us the news. We know that breaking news is happening. I wanted you to keep talking so I'd see. I'm. No, 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 no. I wanted it to stop. <laughs> so that's why I stopped. Uh, these new subpoenas include some high profile names. We've seen these names before. They've been in trouble. Still before. going. Well, these are the names we've really been waiting for. We <laughs> thought they'd be subpoenaed. I know they are. We're talking about Alex Jones and, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, Alex Jones and Roger Stone. Forgive me. Um, they are uh, two people at the very center <laughs> of the Stop the Steel rallies. Those are the two most well-known names in this list of subpoenas, which includes other names, Dustin Stockton, Jennifer Lawrence, and Taylor Budowich, now the spokesperson for uh, former President Trump. But these, uh, in in totality, uh, indicate that, that uh, they are really going for the people who are at the very center of the Stop the Steel movement and involved in the organization of the Stop the Steal rallies that preceded the riot. The subpoena for Alex Jones, for example, notes that he was denied a speaking role at the Stop the Steal rally on January 6th, but indicates that the White House either told or asked Jones to lead the march to the Capitol, from the Ellipse to the Capitol on January 6th after that rally. The subpoena quotes also directly from Jones' own remarks in December in which he said, Quote, finally, Trump has done the right thing. He is now calling on we the people to take action and show our numbers. The time for action is now. 
Where were you when history called? Roger Stone's subpoena points out that he promoted his appearance at the Stop the Steal rally and asked for donations from supporters to pay for his security. While he was in D.C., he reportedly used members of the far-right extremist group The Oath Keepers as personal security guards, several of whom, according to the subpoena, were reportedly involved in the attack on the Capitol, and at least one of those people has since been indicted. Unlike the Jones subpoena, the Stone subpoena points out that he was also invited to lead a march to the Capitol on January 6th, but he ended up not even going to the rally at the Ellipse on January 6th and did not lead a march from the Ellipse to the Capitol that day, Jim. All right. Uh, they're expanding the net. They're widening the net. And, and I think what's interesting about this is that, yes, we recognize these big names and Alex Jones and Roger Stone, but these lesser known individuals, they're the ones we're told uh, by our sources that are cooperating with this investigation and helping out providing information. So it'll be interesting to see right. how this plays out. What, what's become clear is that the, the committee is doing two things. They're going for the big fish, but they're also trying to squeeze lesser people who know a lot that may not have the means of a Steve Bannon, yeah. of a Mark Meadows, uh, to shore up their own defense. And from a strategy standpoint, Dustin Stockton's subpoena is really interesting because it points out that he was in direct contact with Mark Meadows, and President Trump. The Meadows part is significant because we know that Meadows is not cooperating with the committee in the way that they want. So if they if the committee can get other people in his circle, all of the people he was talking to, that gives them that takes a little bit of the pressure off the committee to actually get Meadows. But it also makes it much more difficult for him to wiggle out of very pointed, informed questions. He may want to cooperate. All right, Whitney, thank you so much. Listen, here's the thing. The committee thus far, I think, has done a decent job. But the moment that that um, Mark Meadows does not show up when he has been compelled to testify via legal subpoena, mm-hmm. then you, you you vote in the committee to uh, hold him in contempt of Congress. That vote forwards on to the full House. The full House votes and you forward on to the DOJ. Or you exert inherent contempt, which isn't popular, but they have the power within them. It's been used about 100 years ago to send the House Sergeant at Arms and make an arrest. Just what are they doing? Mm-hmm. They're allowing this thing to drag on. The closer that it gets to the midterms, the more chaos that's going to be allowed to take place. Now, the, the problem here is that there are too few Republicans who are willing to stand up against the mob of insanity. Mm -hmm. The good news is the few that are happening, it seems as though they're reputable enough that it might start a trickle, a little bit of a trickle that that creates um, a little stream and then the stream rolls into the river and then the river rushes into the ocean. Look at you being all hopeful. You like that? Well, no, I'm just saying, I mean, listen, just this week, two Fox News um, people who weren't necessarily on the air very much, but were being paid by Fox News, mm-hmm. made it public that they were quitting specifically over the Tucker Carlson insane conspiracy theory nut butt thing. Documentary, quote do- unquote. Quote unquote. Hard, quote unquote. <laughs> real hard, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the January 6th insurrection was a false flag. Mm-hmm. Developing overnight, two longtime Fox News contributors have quit in protest over Tucker Carlson trying to rewrite history in his so-called documentary on the January 6th insurrection. Steve Hayes and Jonah Goldberg write, quote, The special is presented in the style of an expose, a hard-hitting piece of investigative journalism. In reality, it is a collection of incoherent conspiracy mongering, riddled with factual inaccuracy, half-truths, deceptive imagery, and damning omissions. The release of Patriot Purge, that's the name of the special, wasn't an isolated incident. It was merely the most egregious example of a long-standing trend with the release of Patriot Purge. We felt we could no longer do right as we see it and remain at Fox News. Joining me now, CNN chief media correspondent and anchor of Reliable Sources, Brian Stelter. Um, these are big resignations. Yes. I know they're not major stars at Fox, but it's making a statement. Yes, this very, very rarely happens anywhere in cable news to see two longtime commentators walk out because they just couldn't take it anymore. And one of the reasons why they're not bigger stars, John, is because they have been kind of constrained within the Fox News orbit. 
10 years ago, Steve Hayes, Jonah Goldberg, they were on Fox all the time. They were very significant players in the conservative uh, commentary world. But they have been squeezed out. They've been sidelined in the Trump years because they are not sufficiently Trump loyal. They are sharp critics of the uh, narcissistic direction the GOP's taken and the control that Trump has over the party. So as a result, they decided they couldn't take it anymore, Tucker being the last straw. And this says a lot both about Tucker Carlson and his power at Fox and about the fact that there are people inside the GOP media who just can't stand it. I want to read a quote that Jonah gave Ben Smith of the New York Times. And I guess Ben broke this story yes, overnight, yesterday yeah. overnight. Uh, let me read you a quote from Jonah, suggesting that he and Steve Hayes thought that maybe Fox would be changing right. after the election. Listen to this. Uh, they say they stayed at Fox News as long as they did because of a sense from conversations at Fox that after Mr. Trump's defeat, the network would try to recover some of its independence and, as he put it, right the ship. Mm. I heard this from sources at Fox as well, right after Trump lost, that, okay, maybe the fever is now broken. This is a version of the conversation you're having about the Republican Party and politicians in Washington. You know, will they break with the loser who failed to gain a second term? Well, the answer has been no. The answer has been Fox has continued to uh, slavishly promote Trump and also, even more importantly, uh, double down on incendiary radicalized rhetoric. There's a reason why Tucker Carlson is the highest rated host. There's a reason why he is putting out this one six denialism, putting out these this Patriot Purge documentary, which really isn't a documentary at all, where he comes out and suggests a new war on terror trying to, to hurt half the country. That radicalized uh, poison is now what Fox stands for. And I think essentially what Goldberg and Hayes are saying is we, we were hoping that this place might come back to normal, go back to a more moderate place. It's not happening. Every sign is that Fox is choosing its lane and its lane is more radical. Its lane is 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 over Marjorie Taylor Greene and Louis Gohmert's side uh, and, and Lauren Boebert's side and not on this more moderate um, uh, back to politics sort of lane. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, at least we know Brian Stelter isn't the only one who can't pronounce the name of Lauren Boebert. I was so excited when I heard that. He's I'm like, like it's not just me. Lauren blah, 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 It's blah, not blah. just me. I'm not alone. You know, it is uh, it is bizarre watching Fox News work their asses off to try to emulate season three of Succession right now. Mm. They're doing everything they can to catch up. For a, for a season of a show that it had been written previously, mm-hmm. filmed previously, and is just airing right now. Yeah. They're just off the reservation, off the rails. Well, do you want to know uh, how Tucker Carlson reacted to this news? Uh, I don't know. Called him cucks or something? <laughs> well, <laughs> he did celebrate it. He said it was great news and that the network's viewers will be grateful that they're leaving. Ugh. I mean... So, I think we need to leave it there. Just uh, he's uh, happy that he's driving people away. Of course he is. Mm-hmm. It's all the fuck we need. <laughs> anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you. We're going to end it there. Uh, we'd love to hear from you on these and any other topics that are on your mind. We want to amplify your voice in an effort to move the conversation forward as we do or try to on an episode by episode basis. So you can call 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We will see you next time. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.